This is Heather Chavez. You're listening to KBOO, listener-sponsored radio. Prison Pipeline presents a unique perspective of the criminal justice system, addressing the root causes of crime and broadening understanding of the institution of incarceration. Baby, you understand me now. If sometimes you see that I'm mad. Don't you know no one alive can always be an angel When everything goes wrong you see some bad But I'm just a soul whose intentions are good Oh Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood Good evening, you're listening to Prison Pipeline here on KBOO Community Radio. Today we're talking with Brian Kane with the organization Social Purpose Corrections. Uh, Brian, welcome to Prison Pipeline. Well, thank you, Emma. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate the invite. Thanks. Um, so we're going to talk today about the organization that you work with called Social Purpose Corrections. And then we'll also talk a little bit about your story, too. Let's start by just kind of getting a broad overview. What is Social Purpose Corrections? Well, thank you. Social Purpose Corrections, we are the first full-service nonprofit prison corrections organization. Um, Our vision is to completely revamp, change how the United States operates corrections, Um, you know, to to address the culture issue, which is the root cause on our dysfunction. Uh, so we're bringing a nonprofit solution forward that's that's a foundation for other nonprofits to collaborate with, uh, but to help our government leaders re-envision uh, how corrections is operated, move away from the paramilitary model, move away from the us versus them model uh, into a humane compassionate model. Okay, so let's talk about how corrections is operating now and what your organization sees as being ways of approaching that that are different. Could you address that? Sure, how much time do you have? <laughs> we have half an hour. Uh, okay, um, it's uh, the, the United States, there's two types of security in corrections. You have static security and you have dynamic security. Static security is, is what the U- US um, uses as a founding principle. Now static security is, is more fences, gates, gas, um, authority, uh, you know, um, rigid structure, uh, you know, which is, you know, I, I, the analogy I use is paramilitary model. And I served in the Marine Corps and I understand military quite well. Um, and those principles are brought into corrections and they were 200 plus years ago, you know, and it's, it's been embedded into the culture, um, since then. Uh, and it's how us does corrections. It's the staff and the incarcerated are separated intentionally. Um, where there's no there, there's no purpose to the profession, there's no purpose to the job. The officers in this example are not allowed uh, to engage as helpers, you know, and that's one of the root core causes. Then on the other side of that is dynamic security, uh, which is a principle you see more in the Nordic countries, where uh, the security is about helping. It's about developing professional relationships between the staff and the residents. So it's bridging that gap of distrust, um, probably is the best word for it, 
uh, you know, allowing the staff to actually become helpers versus warehousers, you know, and so that's kind of the, the, the major difference, you know, with, with the U.S. corrections. It's very punitive in nature. It's very rigid. It's very structured. Um, when one thing goes bad, there there's all kinds of policies that are typically associated with that to, quote unquote, stop it from happening again. When all it does is keep it's just keep moving the staff away from the residents, you know, and, and their ability to help. Okay, great. So that helps me understand more where we're coming from. We're basically having a conversation about the security culture within these carceral institutions and how they're structured in a way which creates separation. Well, it's more than just security. I mean, I use that as an example, but okay, great. It's, it's the our system's broken. I mean, if you look at the metrics and outcomes of U.S. corrections, there is nothing good about it. I mean, I, uh, you know, I I lived in 28 years in corrections. I ran uh, prisons, uh, five of them, as a warden. I was a head of security of 65 prisons. Uh, the, the the way the U.S. does corrections just doesn't work, and and the staff and the leaders aren't trained in some ways and then don't question the culture in other ways to bring about reform and change you can't you can't you know implement this new program uh you know and think it's going to change the culture of, of the facility it's not we need to break it down to its basic levels and rebuild it back up with with a dynamic security mentality and philosophy uh you know norway is the big dynamic security now we're not norway so we can't pick norway up and put it in the united states uh, because we're mass incarceration and they're not. Um, but the reality is, is, is allowing the staff to actually help the residents to engage in professional relationships to be part of the solution versus us versus them and this complete bridge um, in, in that relationship. I mean, there's other issues too. I mean, it's, you know, the, the prisons release people with $50 and a bus ticket. I say that a little bit in jest, but it's kind of true. Yeah. Um, and expect them to succeed. You can't even get a hotel and a couple meals uh, with with the, the amount of, of resources that you leave the facility with, more or less medication, mental health, or what have you, uh, to take care of yourself. You know, our model, we 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 broke everything down. We rebuilt it from the from the ground up. Um, our model is completely different than anything you're going to see in U.S. corrections. Um, and it's you know, again, I'm a security expert. It's actually more safe. You know, which is the you know, um, you know, which which is what concerns people. It's more safe than the current model or the current paradigm. So, um, I mean, it's you know, we have to prepare people for release while they're incarcerated, and not trust that community corrections is going to do it because number one, in some many cases, they don't have the resources, uh, and number two, the policies and system, you know, in, in many ways, handcuff them from helping, uh, you know, and there's not enough of, of them to to help the, the returning citizens. So. I mean, we have to help them while they're incarcerated to give them a fair chance. They should leave, uh, ideally, with a job in housing and transportation, ideally, but at least a job in housing. But that's not part of how U.S. does corrections. It says, oh, you're done with your prison time. Here you go, community corrections, or here you go, uh, family, if you have any. Uh, you know, good luck and you know, hope you make it. And we all know there's a two-third fail rate. Uh, you know, so it's it, it doesn't happen. It doesn't work. Great, great. Well, we've got a lot to talk about here. Um, this is really wonderful. So we're talking with Brian Kane with Social Purpose Corrections, uh, Nonprofit Corrections. Um, so I want to ask a question just for our listeners. Uh, people may not be familiar with like different kinds of models of corrections. 
I mean, I think most of us, when we think of prison, we just think that's some sort of a thing that either the state or the federal government runs. So, like, we sort of think of prisons as basically being run by the state. Is there anything different from running a prison by the state? I mean, the corrections is the responsibility of the government. Um, right. You know, you have private corrections out there and government corrections. Really, those are the two entities, and then now us. Uh, you know, we're the we're the new uh, new team on the game. But um, you know, private corrections runs eight percent of the beds in the United States. Government corrections runs you know ninety two percent of the beds in, in the United States. Um, you know, but the the United States again, the, the model is it's very ingrained in the way the United States has done corrections for a very long time. You know, and and getting people to see past that that there is a humane way of doing it, but you you have to change the whole culture. You know, culture is invisible. It's not like you can give somebody a class and say, okay, our culture's changed tomorrow and we're gonna start doing it this way. No, uh, you know, culture doesn't work that way. Um, you know, and so the challenge, you know, and there's a lot of passionate leaders out there. I go to all the conferences. I, I talk to the, the, the corrections leaders often, um, you know, the and there's some good people with good hearts that wanna do the right thing. It's just the culture is so embedded you know, and, and it's very difficult to change culture. I mean, if you look at U.S. corrections, maybe one example I can come up with that's been successful and completely changing the culture, you know, and that lasts as long as the leader lasts. And then when the leader goes, if they're not careful, it just reverts back to the way it was before. I think you've helped me understand that there's 92% uh, of the facilities are administered by either state or federal governments. I know about, you said about 8% are for profit. I right. assume organizations like CCA, um, you know, which is a pretty notorious for-profit prison in the South. Um, so, how is a nonprofit corrections model different? What's what, what what does that look like? Well, it's completely different. Again, um, we broke down how U.S. does corrections based off of a team of operators, uh, with myself being the leader. So, our solution is is a marriage between academics, advocates operators, which is one of the key components that's missing out of reform in, in U.S. corrections, um, working together to challenge how we do corrections or how we operate uh, uh, corrections. So our nonprofit model is significantly different. Now, um, our, our purpose is to help the government, purely. We're a tool in their toolbox, you know, so uh, that could be through consulting. Um, you know, the, the number one challenge in U.S. corrections today is staffing. It's security. They can't hire or and retain security staff, and that's universal across the board. And the, the the challenge with that is if you can't provide basic security for a prison or, or a jail uh, or a facility, then not the programs don't happen. Um, you know, there's there's no real emphasis on helping the incarcerated. You know, and so our model um, is completely different. Uh, you know, so we can consult, we can actually run facilities as a nonprofit if that's if that's the need of the government. The beauty of that is, is it's it's a complete culture reboot. You know, trying to change culture within the existing culture, like I said earlier, is very difficult. Um, leaders change every two and a half years or so. Uh, you know, every leader comes in has a different vision. Uh, you know, the, the staff uh, that, that do the job every day, where there's the case managers, counselors, teachers, nurses, officers, um, you know, they see people come and go so often that, that you know, they just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, okay, here's the flavor of the day because we have a new leader, uh, you know, hopefully that'll work. But then they're gone in two, two and a half years and the next person comes in after a while, they just keep doing things the same because they know really nothing's going to change. 
or very little is going to change. And so what we bring to the table is a complete culture reboot. So is the is social purpose corrections, nonprofit corrections, is that something that is that a model that could be applicable to a jail or a state facility or a federal facility? What what kind of a facility might it be appropriate for? All of them um, or even community corrections. So, uh, you know, uh, it's, you know, juvenile, um, youthful offenders, adults, uh, you know, it's you know, our background is in the is in the gamut of corrections. I mean, we have a star pack team uh, of some of the best leaders in corrections from the United States all together in one group who are questioning the paradigm, who are questioning how we do corrections. And so, you know, we bring, uh, you know, that's how we're going to be successful is, you know, we're disruptors in a, in a world that doesn't want to be disrupted. Uh, you know, we're fighting an uphill fight. Uh, every time we turn around, somebody's trying to push back uh, because we're we're saying that that there is a better way, um, but people have a hard time seeing it. You know, and it's we, we're a contract model. We're not like private corrections. We're a competitor at private corrections, actually. We're outcomes based. If we don't reduce recidivism, why would you need us? Why would you want us? You know, if we don't increase GET graduation rates, which is connected to recidivism, why do you need us? Why should we exist? We shouldn't. Uh, our purpose is to help, but we bring efficiency. Uh, we eliminate waste um, that you typically would see in any government organization, and we take the net revenue based off of those contracts and we flip it right back into people. None of it goes to Wall Street. None of it goes to a CEO with a huge pension package everything goes back into people. So, uh, you know, we, we bring that benefit to the government where we can, you know, uh, run a, a prisoner jail more efficiently, uh, more humanely, but then take the the revenue, the money, you know, um, that benefits from that and flip it right back, hire more teachers, hire more nurses, hire more mental health, uh, you know, bring in um, case managers that are going to facilitate jobs and housing before they're released. Uh, you know, it's, you know, uh, as a nonprofit, we can raise funds through foundations, significant funds. There's lots of money out there for people who want to make a difference. They're looking for ways to do it, you know, and, and we're that way, you know. So our purpose is to change those outcomes. Um, let me ask you a question, Emma. Do you know the okay. average lifespan of a correctional officer in the U.S.? Of a correctional officer? That it's about two years? Well, no, the lifespan. Oh, the lifespan. Oh, I've never thought about that. No, what is it? 59 years old, 17 oh, years wow. the general population. Wow, I never knew that that was the case. That's, that's terrible. Can you imagine how stressful a job has to be where it takes 19 or 17 years of your life away? I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's part of that culture I'm talking about. Human mm -hmm. beings are designed to help. Corrections forbids them from helping. The current culture for almost forbids them from engaging. You know, there are some exceptions, but engaging you know, as somebody who, who wants to help. A correctional officer today goes home, you know, to their spouse if they get to go home because they get mandated to work overtime all the time. Uh, you know, and the typical response may be, oh, it was a good day today, no one got assaulted. Um, mm -hmm. Versus going home and saying, hey, I helped, uh, you know, uh, John Smith reconnect with his daughter. He hasn't talked to her in three years. I've been mean, encouraged him to call her. He's been hesitant. He called her last night. It was the most incredible experience. I mean, that's the conversations that the staff should be having with their families, um, but it just doesn't happen, you know, and, and that's that toxic culture that we have to fix. You know, in our nonprofit it is, is a culture reboot. You know, it's, 
you know, government tries to slowly change culture, which is very difficult, like I said earlier. Um, and can somebody get it done in the two and two and a half years that they may have in that leadership position? And where we come in, you know, we'll run the facility um, as a nonprofit, uh, completely reboot, start from the beginning, uh, challenge how we do recreation. Uh, you know, our, our facilities will be green, um, you know, because to change culture, it takes three things, in my opinion, you have to create an environment not the cold concrete bar environment. I mean, environment where it's green and it's warm and there's paint and it's uh, there's couches and not stainless steel benches, uh, you know, um, you know, gotta be careful a little bit on that with security, but, but there's ways of doing it. And then you gotta, you gotta create uh, communities, you know, human beings are, are in need of community. I mean, it's, if you look at why people go into games, it's because they're looking for a community. Uh, if you look at, at, at correctional facilities, they're, they're not really community-based. Now, the community may be us versus them, the staff versus the incarcerated, but that's not a healthy community. Uh, you know, so you got to break facilities down into smaller elements. People have to have consistency. They have to be working the same job, same post every day. They, they have to be able to get to know the residents that, that they're responsible for. And then you have to recreate purpose. Why would anybody want to work in corrections in this day and age unless they can help? If you can't help, why would you? Why would you want to? And that's the problem. The younger generation is—it's not the, you know, the baby boomer generation where, you know, you tell somebody go stand in the corner, you know, make sure nobody walks through that door, and you be like, okay. That's not my generation, but it's one above me. But uh, you know, and you might not ask a question why. Where you tell that to, uh, you know, the younger generation, there you go. That's silly. Why would I want to stand in the corner and watch a door? You know, you have to explain it to them. But if we if we don't bring purpose to the job, if we don't allow that that officer to be a helper, um, you know, in our model, it's a coaching model, it's dynamic security, but you are an encourager. You know, you're, we, we empower you with information on the residents you're responsible for. Do they have a GED or do they not? Uh, are they on the mental health watch list? Are they not? Uh, you know, are they, do they have a job or do they not? Do they call home or do they not? Do they have any social connections? You know, give them basic understanding of the persons they're responsible for and then let them encourage them. You know, uh, I noticed you haven't called home in three months. Everything okay? Uh, well, no, I kind of burnt my bridges. Okay. Uh, you know, that happens. I mean, you know, um, you ever think about trying to mend those bridges? Well, you know, um, you know, and have those conversations versus standing in the back of the unit uh, with your radio, uh, calling codes, doing counts, cell searching, pat searching, handing out mail, you know, the, the, the things that an officer has to do, but it really has no purpose to it. We're talking today with Brian Kane with, the group Social Purpose Corrections, which is a nonprofit corrections um, organization. Brian, can you share with us a little bit about your professional background? How did you uh, come into this kind of work? And uh, what is your work history? Good question, Emma. Um, kind of like everybody else on accident. Um, I mean, nobody grows up as a child and say, I want to work in a prison one day. I mean, it, my story is, is uh, you know, I um, graduated high school, joined the Marine Corps, uh, went and served four years in the Marines, came out, uh, went to um, college, uh, get my criminal justice degree in in the classes. There was this this um, presentation on corrections, and I was intrigued by it. Not sure if I wanted to work in, in prisons or not, but there was a prison opening up. I'm from Minnesota, uh, in uh, Western Minnesota, it was actually an independent city prison, you know, in all definitions, it was considered private. Uh, and I, I took a job out there just kind of to see what it was like, um, you know, $8 an hour, uh, you know, middle of nowhere, Minnesota. 
uh, and started working in, in a prison um, up there. And at first it was kind of different, clearly, um, but I was drawn to it kind of because my military background, it was super structured, um, by the way, which is a root cause of the problem. But at the time, I mean, I was drawn to it. You know, um, I didn't intend to work there for more than a year. Um, and, you know, but I, I promoted quickly, you know, uh, and I was drawn to it. And it's one thing about corrections is it's not something people want to work in, but once you get there, you're like, oh, it's kind of cool. Uh, you know, there's purpose. Well, there's supposed to be purpose to it, but there's there's structure to it. You know, there's uh, you know, you're you're we're all social beings and there's no better place to be if you're a social being than inside of a prison. Uh, you know, and so um, I moved up quickly. Um, I was that uh, head of security of 65 prisons. Uh, and then I took my first warden job in Tennessee um, and I took my second warden job in Arizona. And I took my third warden job in New Mexico. And I took my fourth warden job in Nevada, and then I took my fifth warden job back in Arizona uh, at a 5,000 bed complex, uh, um, very large uh, wow. detention prison. You know, and through the years as a warden, you you start, you really start to question why, you know, um, versus growing up, there's a certain way of doing corrections and this way everyone does it and no one questions it, it's just the way of doing it. And it, it, once you get to the warden's chair, um, it, it's a, uh, you hold, hold on, well, why are we doing this? Why is the lifespan 59 years old? Why do we have two thirds fail rate? I mean, two thirds, really? Uh, you know, um, you know, why can't we find enough teachers? Why can't we hire staff? Why can't we hire nurses? Why can't we keep nurses? You know, why why is it so difficult to hire mental health uh, professionals? You know, and, and over time, as I questioned how we did corrections, I, I, I either I had to become part of the solution or part of the problem because I knew how to fix it, but I couldn't. I, I didn't have the resources to do it. Uh, you know, so I came up with this crazy idea of, of uh, you know, why doesn't somebody take the the you know, the for-profit model, not take it, but, uh, uh, you know, the uh, compete against the for-profit model in, and um, help the government with a nonprofit. So I went to my attorney and said, hey, uh, will IRS certify a nonprofit prison company? <laughs> my attorney said, you want to do what? I said, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I said, I, we can help. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, I have a, uh, I know how, at least I have the base of how uh, we can change the culture of corrections in the United States. She goes, I don't think the IRS is going to certify a prison company. And I said, well, and I said, well, what would it take to find out? She goes, $2,000 for me to set all the paperwork. I said, okay. And so I paid the $2,000 and, uh, you know, a little under two months later, uh, without question, it was approved. Uh, and the journey began, you know, uh, and so uh, we we formed the world's, actually it's the United States, it's the world's first full service nonprofit corrections organization. Oh, that's great. How, and um We've got maybe five minutes left or so, mm -hmm. so we can't get into everything. But I mean, there is one thing I really wanted to make sure to address from the beginning of our conversation, which is you talked about within the security culture of how to make a space where the where it's not so much of an us versus them. Right. How how does that look for you know for for security? How does that look for folks who are working at a facility? What's different in terms of the life of the employees who work within that facility, especially the ones who are providing security? Could could you just address that briefly? Sure. Um, you know, and we don't have much time, but uh, there, there's so, certain elements. Number one, consistency. Don't move the staff around. They have to be in the same unit every day, um, so they get to know the, the the residents and develop a professional relationship. Number two, you need to measure outcomes down to their level. So if I'm an officer and I don't know how effective I am, if I don't know what our violence level is in, in my unit, my pod, 
if I don't know my program participation level, is it trending up or down? If I don't know if my idle time is up or down, idle time, by the way, is a devil's workshop. Uh, you know, that it, it, I don't know, um, you know, and give them the metrics so they know, trust them, um, you know, and then we have a contact coach process because all of our staff are coaches uh, where they're actually assigned a group of 20, 25 residents that they actually spend weekly time one-on-one -on -one with as a coach. Uh, and, and again, it's more of an encouraging model, so they encourage them. But what it does is allows for that professional relationship, allows for the residents to see the security staff as helpers, uh, you know, and people they can trust versus the enemy and people they can't trust. That's a good answer. So how, how far along is your nonprofit then, Brian, uh, Social Purpose Corrections? Is it is it ready to go? Is it already in operation? No, we're um, young. Um, <laughs> You know, as you can imagine, we're challenging U.S. corrections as there's like pushback from everywhere. Um, but they, uh, you know, we just received a major uh, grant, huge grant. Uh, you know, raising money for a nonprofit is harder than a for-profit because you have, you know, it's mostly donations. You know, we have a, a gentleman, Gideon Powell, he's the CEO of an oil company in uh, Texas who, who wants to end mass incarceration and address the mental health. He's funding us. Our team is is strong. Uh, we have a lot of volunteers, but we also have uh, now we have actually have a paid team uh, with the contributions we're receiving, and so we're, we're we're better capable of challenging you know private corrections specifically because we're we're going to bid against them uh, on the prisons that they run. But yeah, it's we're young. Uh, you know, we need support. If you believe in what we're doing, help us. Uh, look at our website, spcor.org, uh, you know, and volunteer. If you have financial means, help us that way. Um, but we will change the, the the footprint of corrections in the U.S. This isn't a matter if there's no fail about it. We have to. There's too many lives at stake. So thank you so much. So you're, you're kind of a startup, and you just gave a really great pitch for why people should come and check you out and take a look at what you're doing. That's really wonderful. Uh, Brian, is there anything else that you'd like to share about uh, social purpose corrections uh, that we haven't touched on in this brief interview. People need to put things in perspective. Every day we leave corrections the way it is, lives are lost. And I'm not talking one, two, three, I'm talking hundreds and hundreds daily um, of people that are released, correctional officers committing suicide. Uh, you know, it's the system has to change, but it's not going to until we, you know, not to use a Marine analogy, but until we fight and push back. Um, you know, we need to educate our, our leaders you know, that, that there is a humane way of, of running our facilities. Um, you know, there is a way to not exist. We don't, you know, we, our goal is to reduce the people that are incarcerated significantly. So we need your help. I mean, and, and I can't say that more often um, or enough. Um, if you care about what we're talking about, help us. We are a very sharp tool in a very, uh, you know, dull toolbox uh, in order to change the culture of corrections. Thanks. And one more time, if people would like to find out more about Social Purpose Corrections, what is your website? SPCOR.org. Great. Thank you so much. We've been talking today with Brian Kane from Nonprofit Correction Organization, Social Purpose Corrections for Prison Pipeline here on KBOO Community Radio. Brian, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Emma, for having us.
KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM, K282BH Philomath on 104.3 FM, and K220HR Hood River on 91.9 FM. KBOO Community Radio is hiring a full-time development director. This position leads all fundraising campaigns in alignment with KBOO's mission, goals, and policies. The development director works closely with management and staff to identify funding priorities and create major donor campaigns, capital campaigns, and grant writing. More info can be found at kboo.fm hiring. We will begin reviewing applications on August 7th, and the position will remain open until filled. KBOO is an equal opportunity employer. One, two, three, four. 